Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy and Tino, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. Once again, we have Mike joining us today. As always, thanks for joining us, Mike. In this episode, Tino will review the first quarter of 2021, and Mike and Remy discuss the taxation of cryptocurrency. And while we're on the topic, Tino tells us a bit about Coinbase's IPO, and we'll cap it off with the third lesson on Tino's list of 10 biggest mistakes he's made as a pro investor. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss something on the show, please email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you like the show, please write us a review. So the first three months of 2021 are in the book. So we'll start the show with Tino summarizing what's happened so far and where he thinks we're headed. Yeah, this week is um, one of my more dreaded weeks of the year because I do my quarter in review. Uh, so the, the first quarter ended, so I, I, I did my weekly note on on what happened or what transpired in the first quarter, but more importantly, what we're looking at going forward. And it is a time of reflection for me too, because I take in what's happened and try to filter out what doesn't matter versus you know some of the things that have kind of continued to push our, our, our beliefs going forward. One of the interesting outcomes from the quarter is the number of new all-time highs in almost almost every equity index out there, not all of them, but most of them, even the dip that we saw in the NASDAQ kind of intra-quarter has, for all intents and purposes, gone away. Now, anytime you get an all-time high or this many all-time highs, uh, the fear uh, gets shifted to or towards valuations. And if you look on a pure numerical basis right now, a lot of the equity market is trading at a high price-to-earning multiple. Again, so if you think about a PE ratio or price to earnings ratio, it's kind of like price per square foot if you're looking at a house. It's a way to, to, to take a relative measure of one stock versus the other, like one house versus the other that are equally comped. So if you look at the long-term PE ratio of the S&P 500, it's you know, 18, 18 and a half, somewhere in that range. 18 and a half times earnings is what I meant. Right now, it's closer to you know, 22 and a half, 23 times earnings, which is not a small increase from the average. So there are a lot of investors out there right now, and I've seen a lot of articles over the past week or two, especially that have said, this market's overvalued. It's too expensive. And uh, you start seeing references to things like you know the dot-com crisis and whatnot. So I don't necessarily believe that, that to be the case, but I think that is certainly on the minds of investors right now. Certainly something to keep our eye on in the months to come, that's for sure. So it seems no show of ours is complete without talking about crypto. And uh, usually it's a more abstract conversation. But actually this week, I think it's a very direct topic, which is the taxation of crypto. It's tax season. And right now, I think that's actually a, a big topic on a lot of people's minds. So this is a relatively new concept. And Mike, I know you've been fielding a lot of phone calls on this. So why don't you tell us what you've learned so far? Apparently, so crypto is really, it's, it's no different than being taxed. Uh, on a stock, right? It's traded like a stock. It's taxed like any kind of a capital asset. Um, but I guess a lot of the questions have been, I don't get a 1099 from wherever I'm trading. How do I track it? You know, what do I do? And the bottom line is it is your responsibility to track your trades. Um, I try to do a little research to see, you know, who is sending 1099s and who isn't. And there's sketchy information out there at best. Um, it appears that, you know, if you're on Coinbase, you you might get a 1099, and the threshold for them seems to be uh, about twenty thousand dollars in in trades, or or more than a couple hundred trades. Um, I guess they're not required um, unless you actually get some sort of bonus from them, and if it, that's over six hundred dollars, they treat it as though you're like an employee, and then they'll send you a 1099. Um, apparently, they were subpoenaed in two thousand and sixteen and asked for records of of five hundred investors. 
uh, and they did have to give up those records, but uh, apparently they don't do it as a, uh, as a matter of course. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then the other thought that, that I had is, you know, now that you have an awful lot of people beginning to take Bitcoin as actual currency, for instance, you can buy a Tesla, not Tesla stock, but an actual car with Bitcoin. You know, how does that work? If I'm buying a, you know, the, the value of the U.S. dollar fluctuates, but if I but if I buy something with it, you know, there's no tax implication. Apparently, that's not the case with uh, with cryptocurrency. If I buy a, you know, if I pay, you know, I bought two bitcoins, you know, five years ago for three thousand dollars a piece, you know, now they're worth you know sixty some odd thousand dollars a piece, and I spend that two bitcoins to buy a Tesla, I've spent one hundred twenty thousand dollars on a car. I now have a roughly one hundred fourteen thousand dollar capital gain provided I've kept that Bitcoin for more than 12 months. I'm not sure people really realize that. That's a pretty big deal. It's a huge deal. It, it is a pretty big deal. Actually, so, so the other thing that when I started to really dig into this is, you know, we talked in the past about um, these guys that lose their passwords and so forth, right? Um, and, Tino, I don't know if it was on a podcast or just in a conversation we had, you mentioned, you know, the only reason these guys have you know, $10 million or $20 million of Bitcoin is because they, they can't get it, right? They probably would have cashed in or traded it a long time ago. It never would have gotten to that value, but now they've lost it. So you can uh, write off a loss, but you can only write off a loss to the extent of your basis. So some of these guys that have lost, you know, lost a hard drive with, with you know, $5 million of Bitcoin or some, some such thing, but they've only got like a $20,000 investment, can only write off a $20,000 loss. You know, and it's the same three thousand dollars in the carry forward. The other seventeen thousand, it really, it, yeah, it's like it kind of gets salt in the wound, right? Right, uh, they get completely screwed. These guys, both ways. It's just brutal. So, before I make my next comment, uh, we we really need to caveat that uh, we are we are not CPAs, we are not tax advisors, and you know, my next comment is is in in no way advice or or a suggestion of something to do. Um, you know, m- merely a an, an observation. <laughs> So how does the IRS know if there's any gains? I mean, as far as I'm aware, uh, there's no obligation for any platforms to report at the end of the year. Uh, Some of them do involuntarily. I have a Coinbase account, so I looked into this a little bit. And Coinbase will report to the IRS based on a certain set of criteria. Uh, You have to have a pro account with them. Uh, You have to have over 200 trades in a calendar year. I I think there's some value associated with, with how much you're actually trading. Uh, I don't remember all of the criteria off the top of my head, but that's the only time they report. And, and even at that, that's voluntary for them. Um, they don't have to do it. So, you know, if they don't report anything to the IRS, if you don't, how does anybody know? I mean, how, how is the government even tracking this? But on the 1040 this year, they've actually got a question. Yep. Right. I, I guess I guess this is, this is the first year. It's the very first question after your, you know, sonar name, rank, and serial number kind of information. So what the expectations are going to an honor-based tax system? I, I don't think that's going to end well. Listen, all this, yeah, all this stuff is a bit of a wild west, yeah, right? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? So, yeah, it's difficult to have that conversation with, with uh, clients when they call in. You know, what should I do? You know, you tell them, look, it's your responsibility to, to report your gains. That's, that's really all you can tell people. It is their responsibility. Um, whether they do it or not, you know, I can't control that. But, but that's the answer. There's also some complication around what happens with the crypto. Because I was reading, if it forks... You may or may not have to report that if it airdrops, which as far as my understanding, I think an airdrop is 
similar to like a dividend you you're supposed to report that again i yeah i dug it i dug into it too and i i found <laughs> i found myself reading what a fork and an eardrop is because i didn't i didn't know yeah exactly um so i there is actually there are quite a few uh pieces of software out there that are designed just to help you uh you know with your tax your, your crypto taxes uh i've never used any of them i think but. on coinbase you can um if you're exclusive on Coinbase, you can print out a list of your transactions. Can you not? You can, but if you have crypto that has been airdropped or forked or all this other crazy stuff, I mean, I guess you do have a, a report of the transaction, but you have to be able to understand it to be able to report it. And I, I think that's the bigger challenge. So, so they probably don't bring over basis cost, right? I, I really don't know. I, I haven't looked at the report. I, like I said, I have an account, but to be honest, so I haven't traded this year. So... I haven't, I haven't need to report anything. So this reminds me a little bit of, of annuities, you know, years ago, you know, I've been around for a long time and annuities weren't, you know, as, as common of an investment as they are now. And, you know, you can move annuities from one company to another via a 1035 exchange and they carry over the basis, but companies didn't used to report the basis and they would literally ask the advisor what the basis was when, when it moved from one thing to another. And I remember an advisor that I knew pretty well that, whenever he did a 1035 exchange, whatever the amount was that he exchanged, he literally wrote that in as a basis. The guy didn't know any better. So every time he exchanged something, people got to step up in basis. And that's like, <laughs> crazy. So did either of you look at Ripple when I texted you I a did. couple days ago? I did. How, how much was it? Do you remember? I don't uh, remember. I think it was 150 I think it was, or something. I think it was 143 or something like that. 143. Yeah, it was $1.43. Yeah, this morning is a 196. Yeah, it's crazy. Although buying it, buying it is no easy feat. No, it's near impossible. Although actually, I'm looking at it right now. It's down to 170 again. That's yeah. a volatile coin. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, they're all pretty volatile. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of volatile, we'll see what happens with this Coinbase IPO. But looks like it opened at uh, well, yeah, it opened right around 381 a share. It was priced originally at 250, so that's a pretty decent premium. It hit 429 at one point. And now it's down to 365. So, 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 you know, how does that work like for the average person, right? I, I say hey, I want to buy this IPO. You say it opened at 381. If I'm buying it as soon as I can, what do I get it at? Well, it depends on the mark, the, the type of order you put in. If you put it in a market order, which I don't think many brokers would even allow. Uh, it would be whatever the price is. You typically have to put a limit order on these types of transactions. So, you know, let's say, for example, uh, Coinbase is priced to go out at 250. You don't really know what it's going to price out till a couple of minutes or maybe an hour before it actually uh, goes out on the on market. So we were looking at our Bloomberg terminal about an hour ago, hour and a half ago, saying it was priced around three three eighty or sorry three seventy eight or so. Uh, you'd have to put a limit order in, and uh, so let's say you put a limit order in, let's say at four hundred dollars a share, then that price, whatever the price is, if you can get into that into the action, your your price will be executed up to four hundred a share. Now. The problem with with IPOs is that it, you're talking about something that has never traded before publicly. There, there's been no liquidity in the stock. So, you know, I've worked on that side of the business when we've taken companies public. It's a guess. Like when, when the bankers put, to, put a price together at $250 or $381 or whatever it is, it's a flat out swag. Nobody really knows what the actual price is. And then you've got all these little dynamics going on at the open. You've got hedge funds that were given an allocation of stock that they want to sell to take a quick profit. Uh, you've got retail investors who by no means would ever get in on the initial IPO. 
who want to get in on the action. There's all these different forces going along and nobody really knows how the stock is going to trade for a while. So it's, it's a very volatile situation. So the average person should probably steer clear. Look, you know, to me, when I, when, I, when, I, when I think about IPOs, I always think about that Yogi Berra quote, I would never want to be a member of any club that would let me in. Or, or, or so, he said something like that. You know, it's a catch-22. Banks take these IPOs, these shares, and give them to their biggest and best clients that are sophisticated, large, and will buy large lots of shares. If any time an IPO is offered to anybody other than a large institution, that means the bigger, smarter, and arguably uh, more sophisticated investors passed on the deal. So if an average retail investor is getting access to things like the Facebook IPO, which happened back in, what was it, 2012? That was because a lot of the institutions didn't like the price of the IPO. And look what happened to Facebook after that. It got hammered all the way down to, what is it, $18 a share or so before it then took off. That's typically what you see, is that if somebody offers you an IPO, or if you can't get in the IPO, you start buying right after, you're in for what could potentially be a very wild ride or uncomfortable situation. My rule as an investor is that I almost never buy a stock until I've seen at least three or four quarters of earnings because it takes about a year or so for a stock to trade on fundamentals. Before that, it's just purely emotionally driven. Seems like a lot of stuff is emotionally driven recently. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been any shortage of drama over the past three months or, or I guess four months of the year. Uh, you know, we've seen volatility actually fall quite a bit in the, in the equity market, if you look at the VIX index. And I had to say that it is a nice feeling to wake up in the morning, look at the market and think maybe today is going to just be a normal day. And we haven't had an extended period like that in, I'd say, at least 15 months now. So I'm crossing my fingers. So let's talk about see one, do one, teach one, which is on Tino's top 10 list of biggest mistakes he's made as a professional investor. Yeah. So I have a, an irrational fear of needles that kept me from going to medical school, but I know a few doctors and they have told me that in medical school, uh, particularly around surgical residencies, that's their motto, see one, do one, teach one. So you see a surgery, then you do one, and then you go to somebody else, you teach that surgery to someone else. There's a psychological training going on when you do that, that it forces you to truly understand something. And, and you know, I've been doing a lot of teaching over, you know, over my career. And, and I have to say that no concept that I've learned, I don't truly feel like I understand wholly until I've actually taught it to somebody else, uh, whether that's through writing or speaking or whatever it may be. So uh, that's what I've found in this industry is that finance can be very intimidating. Investing can be very sophisticated, at least upon face value. But ultimately, this business is 99% third grade math. The overwhelming majority of it can be explained it just takes a little bit of practice to do that. You know, it's, again, I, we talk about quotes all the time. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Albert Einstein is that if you can't explain a concept to a six-year-old, then you don't understand it yourself. So that was one of the ideas behind uh, the lessons learned is that if you really want to understand something, if you want to understand what a bond is or how stock trades or how discounted cash flows work, explain it to your spouse or at least try. You've probably screwed up once or twice, but once you finally get in the rhythm of, of being able to explain it wholly and, and, and truthfully, you're, it's going to solidify in your brain and you're going to have that concept for a very long time.
podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.